Before you listen to this podcast, you can subscribe to The Critic magazine with the current offer of five issues for just £10. Head to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk, to subscribe today. Hello and welcome back to The Critic podcast. Why are the membership numbers of the National Trust falling? Are they placing themselves in socio-political conversations where they don't belong? And what is the purpose of the Trust in modern society? In this episode, editorial assistant at The Critic, Anna Price, speaks to Constance Watson, assistant editor of The Catholic Herald and author of the piece Burned by Political Expedience in the June issue of The Critic, about how the National Trust priorities are potentially in the wrong place. So Constance, in your piece for our June issue, you explain how the National Trust is using Clandon Park to propagate a one-sided version of the house's history um, that revolves around how the house was built on the profits of slavery. Um, Is this focus on one incriminating aspect of a property's past happening across multiple places trust-wide? And if so, why is this? I think it looks like it is happening on, on quite a large scale. The, uh, the National Trust has got over 200 historic houses in its care, and last September it published a colonialism and historic slavery report, and it identified 93 of those properties of the 200 that have links to uh, slavery and colonialism. Um, I was actually quite amazed that it was only 93, <laughs> but there you have it, it was 93. And these are flagged across these uh, across the properties website pages. So in the case of Clanton Park, I think it says that it's a, it's a house built on the profits of, of, of slavery. Mm. And um, I think there's a lot in, in today's news in the media about the slavery and the colonialism. And I think the thing about the National Trust is it it has to engage with its members and it relies on its volunteers. <laughs> and therefore, it has, possibly for those reasons, it has become something that seeks to inform and to educate. <laughs> and I think that's part of the reason that it, that it is beginning to looks like it's really it's really taking off that they are naming and shaming uh, mm-hmm. families and naming and shaming properties that have links to slavery and um, I think obviously it's very dangerous I think that in in the case of Clandon it's it's very complex history uh, I would I think the links are, are tenuous they are tenuous mm-hmm. and also, there are other aspects to the story it's very complex uh, so in regards to Clandon the lady who inherited the money which contributed to the house being built uh, she inherited it from her uncle who was thought to have profited from the slave trade now the rumor within the family is that she herself was the child of of a slave and if you look at her portrait mm-hmm. although she's definitely white you can see she's got very dark eyes she's got they're very dark features Mm-hmm. Uh, which sort of buy in, which buy into the, the story that she possibly was herself a product of of, mm-hmm. of, of some a slave and a slave owner. However, that part of history has been totally glided over with Clanton. They haven't mentioned it. They haven't, and I think I think that's a, a very interesting part of the story. Mm-hmm. So it's looking like the National Trust is delivering is is educating in a certain way with a certain 
agenda, a political agenda. Mm -hmm. And they're moving, they're moving away from what they originally, what they originally set up for, but we can, we can go on to that in a minute. And from a marketing perspective, it is possible to see the logic in kind of placing a spotlight on a specific aspect of a property's past in order to hook the public's interest. Um, but what are the dangers of this? You kind of touched on this a little bit, but are there specific dangers in doing so? I think it is very dangerous indeed. I think there can be no doubt about that. I think the first thing to consider is why the trust was set up. And it was originally when it was founded in 1895, it was a body, quote, for the holding of lands of natural beauty and sites and houses of historic interest to be preserved intact for the nation's use and enjoyment. So the idea is that this is a body that seeks to preserve, not to educate or to inform, but preserve. And is preservation about marketing? Is that how, how preservation is, is best achieved? I don't think so. <laughs> I think the dangers of its current agenda are that it's focusing on history in a very distorted fashion and ultimately it will lose members it is losing members it, it, its membership is declining and we're beginning to witness that now i don't know if i didn't mention it in the article but recently we've seen the launch of restore trust mm -hmm. I don't know if you know about that, which uh, which was launched over the Easter weekend, so not long ago. Mm -hmm. And that has been launched with the explicit purpose of holding the National Trust to account. And it's a result of the Restore Trust, it looks like, that the chairman, Tim Parker, has resigned this week from the National Trust. But in the past year, the Trust has lost over 100,000 members. It's bleeding membership. Mm -hmm. and. At the same time, organisations such as English Heritage are actually increasing their membership base. So I spoke to English Heritage today and they informed me that they have their member levels have increased by a third in the last year. So what are English Heritage doing differently to the National Trust? They, I asked them that question and they said that they're very focused on scholarship. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a huge problem that the National Trust is faced with, is that it is not focused on scholarship it's not giving balanced historical account it's giving a distorted it's, it's providing a, dis, a distorted narrative that is moving with the with the winds of, of fashionable causes yeah i was going to ask you about this actually because you mentioned that in your piece and you say that the national trust is moving according to the winds of fashionable causes um and i was wondering if you think that there is a point to be made um, that the trust needs to keep up to date with these fashionable causes in order to stay relevant and potentially gain interest from other sectors of society and whether that is important or not? I think that, it, of course, it's important for it to be relevant, mm -hmm. but it's actually quite dangerous that it thinks it needs to be relevant and it needs to be fashionable because if you start going down the road of allowing yourself to be influenced by current winds of fashionable causes, as I think I, as I, think I wrote, then what happens when those winds change? The National Trust then has to change. So it's moving yet further from, from its original mission statement, which is to preserve. Mm, absolutely. And so do you think that the National Trust priorities are skewed? Um, so instead of focusing on these socio-political relevance, um, should they be investing more time and money in conservation and protection to avoid the circumstances like the 2015 fire at Clandon? Um, 
So I don't know if there is a link between the trust socio-political agenda and the way in this, this affects the way that they execute their physical preservation work. I think that there's definitely a link between their socio-political agenda and how they are implementing their work, mm -hmm. should we say. Yeah. So the National Trust of, operates with a focus on profits, on membership, which as I've said is declining, and on visitor numbers. Mm. But they are, are putting resource into programs such as one called the it's called Colonial Countryside National Trust Houses Reinterpreted, which is basically very... dragging children around these places and saying, now write, write a creative and interesting and emotional story about slavery. Yeah. That's not a valuable use of resource. That's not going into preservation. That's not adhering to what they were set up to do. Mm -hmm. uh, they've also invested in diversity training for their volunteers. Mm. That, to my mind, isn't isn't linking to what they originally intended when they were set up, which is to preserve these places intact for the nation's use and enjoyment. Mm. Um, volunteers have been asked to identify with whatever gender they are and they've literally been given more gender options to identify with than there are houses that the national trust is caring for mm -hmm. so they the socio-political agenda is definitely affecting the way in which they they execute their their preservation work uh in that they're, they're distracted from the preservation in this socio-political agenda that's that's asking for everyone to be equal and everyone to damn anyone that had anything to do with 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 the slave trade mm. um and there's an example i think it was may when mm. the national trust accidentally plowed grassland near the lake district mm. which has destroyed a natural habitat there and they they were perfectly unrepentant about it they admitted wrongdoing mm. but i think when it gets to a point where something that seeks to preserve is actually destroying natural habitat actually destroying physical presentation mm. which it has done with clandon which it has done with various rooms that have been turned into playrooms that has there are examples of historical graffiti being removed then it's becoming a destructive organization and at that point you have to ask the question of where where is it going to go and is there a place for it Mm. in 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 today's society that's really interesting um i think it's really fascinating that what they are placing importance on is completely in the wrong place and their priorities are completely in the wrong place as you say that they are destroying places that they're yeah. supposed to supposed to protect i mean that's pretty terrible um there is another issue at play and that is the breakdown in communication between the national trust and the original owners of properties um, why is it important for the National Trust to be respectful of original families' desires? And, you know, what could be the consequences if they aren't respectful? Well, families often hold history and they have more information than perhaps the Trust would. And, and a good working relationship with the family would result in, if, in, in a more informative, I suppose, experience, which let's remember is what the Trust is offering these days. It's this mm. kind of experience rather than rather than anything else. Um, and yes, families hold histories, they're near, they're relevant. I think the, what will happen is people will stop donating mm -hmm. properties to them if they see that they effectively sort of bastardize the, the desires of the families. Mm -hmm. um, and 
and uh, uh, bend the political narrative, the, the, mm. the historical narratives. I just want to circle back quickly. Um, yeah. You said earlier that uh, obviously the properties under the care of the National Trust, um, they have very vast and complex and nuanced histories um, that do span time and the houses have had different purposes and they've had different families occupying them. Um, is it possible for the Natural Trust to relay kind of a rounded perception of a property um, without bombarding visitors with the minutia um, or neither skimming over the elements of the past? Like, is there a balance that can be made between the two? I think, of course, there is. It just has to, it has to respect the complexities of history, which is one of the main joys of history is its complexity. It has to respect the subtleties. It has to respect the family's desires. Um, it's important to remember that the trust no longer offers nuanced histories of, of, of the properties in its trust. You know, I think I'm right in saying that some papers, some internal papers were, were seen by the press and mm. the National Trust internally descri described that itself as offering an outdated mansion experience. Mm. You know, it's, it, it's an aesthetic experience. If, if you want a history, you're going to learn more reliably from a history book rather than meandering around a large house and being told, I don't know, that Jane Austen ate sugar that was made by a slave. Hmm. If the trust is understood to offer a purely aesthetic experience, then perhaps it needs to recalibrate and move towards that as its, as its mode of survival. Right. Um, but I think it's really important to keep going back to what it was established as, which is the body for holding the lands of natural beauty and uh, houses of historic interest to be preserved intact for the nation's use and enjoyment. It's not designed to educate. It is a charity. It holds charitable status. Uh, it's compromising the presentation of its properties mm -hmm. and, and dumbing everything down. It, mm -hmm. it, it needs, if it wants to provide history, it has to provide a version of history that's balanced and that's scholarly and that's scrupulous. Absolutely. And do you see these tensions within the National Trust eventually coming to a head? Um, or is there a way forward that will satisfy everybody? It's tricky to say. I think that mm. we're... Compromise is definitely possible. These properties are a huge asset, so they should be enjoyed. Mm -hmm. uh, they should be extended to study in uh, you know in a way that informs and I suppose benefits people and there should be a nod to the generosity of those who've given the the, the properties mm -hmm. I think any large-scale organization is confronted with the challenge of how to satisfy all, all and how to stay relevant the trust has I think it was five it's 5.6 million members mm -hmm. so of course it's going to be difficult to keep every keep all those people happy and provide what people want I mean, if you look at the BBC, we know its purpose is to inform, but should it aim to educate? And so when these corporations are faced with that dilemma, do they, do they choose to educate? If they choose like the trust has, and it looks like the BBC has, that if they decide that their decision, if, the, if they decide that it, their duty is to educate, then they have to take a stance. And that's what the National Trust has done. It's decided to prophesize on the ills of slavery, focus on colonialism, and that part of history and sort of make it the, the matrix of our society. Absolutely. And uh, just to end on, um, I suppose an overarching question is how can the National Trust uh, continue to engage and attract not only members, but one-off vi um, visitors, like members of the, the wider yeah. public? 
um, while also staying true to its core values of preserving and maintaining, as we've been talking about? I mean, do you have any thoughts on how they can appeal to both the wider public and to their members and to the, um, the, the families who are looking to donate their homes? I think that the Restore Trust is a step in the right direction because it has been designed to, it, with the aim of reuniting the National Trust with its original mission statement. Mm -hmm. So I think if the Restore Trust is successful and from by all accounts, it, you know, it's um, attracted over 10,000 members since the end of April. Mm. So if that can be successful, then the National Trust is held to account mm. and perhaps it will be encouraged to operate in a slightly more thoughtful manner mm. and return to, to its original mission statement and, and, and look back to that and be inspired by that. So I think that, I think that uh, it's looking like it may have outlived its purpose, the National Trust, unless it tightens its reins. Mm. So hopefully that's held to account. Trust. We'll, uh, we'll put it back on the right direction. And there is hope in that, that it will become um, exactly yeah, a, 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 a operating body that is successful moving forward. Brilliant. Well, thank you so yeah. much for taking the time to talk to me and for coming on the Critic Podcast. Uh, we really appreciate all your thank thoughts. Thank you very much for having me. Thank, thank you for having me. enjoyed listening to this podcast why not subscribe to have the magazine delivered to your door subscribe today with the current offer of five issues for 10 pounds by heading to our website www.thecritic.co.uk